Pierce episode. Unless I was here for that. Ah, gave us Craig and not Jark. Oh well. Okay. Is that Craig? Monkey. Yeah. Hello. Welcome to Flail Forward, everybody. This is your Hi. host, Rob. That's Catrice over there. Hi, Catrice. Hi. Kevwar is joining us. Hello, Kevwar. Hello. Hello. Mark's here tonight. Hey, Mark. Hello. Hello. Tonight, we're talking about recovery because we all need to recover from something. What are you recovering from this week? No comment. No comment. Can't I avoided sure that in the pre-show for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Catrice has provided this episode with a lovely title that I'm going to inflict on all of you. <laughs> <laughs> recovery on Friday so you don't have a weekend immune system. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> For those of you unaware, we record these in our in our Discord every every Friday. Come join us in our audience and make comments that we will usually read. Yes, that's true. We're also Sometimes live we on Twitch. We're also live on Twitch. Kevlar is doing more to promote this show than I have ever done. <laughs> in this, that's not true. You 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 sometimes occasionally post things on twitter anyway oh that's right sometimes sometimes yeah. i do the twitter stuff yeah sometimes you you take one for the team and actually go on twitter I'm i actually on twitter I, right now i am so sorry that you go through this yeah <laughs> anyway but, yeah so the recovery thing so basic idea was like we have covered tangentially related topics before stuff like downtime and other things like that. But the idea I wanted to focus on to start was because we're definitely going to branch out from this is the idea of how long it takes to recover, you know, resources or to be able to get back into to doing stuff again, like mm -hmm. really ancient versions of D&D, for example. It went for the hardcore realism thing where like, it would take weeks, sometimes months to recover from, you know, having your HP drop from like 60 down to like three. Like it took forever if you did not have magical healing. Then fourth edition, you had like healing surges and starting of like short and long rest and fifth edition made it stronger on those more common like Things have changed a fair bit so that you now have, like, you know, the issues of, like, the five-minute adventuring day and stuff like that, which gets wonky. But it's not just D&D, it's, like, other games as well. Like, the idea that healing should take an abnormally long period of time where it's not even, like, downtime where you're doing stuff. It's just, like, yeah, your character's just basically going to be sitting bedridden for three months straight like we so just trying, we don't do I'm, that anymore i'm trying to remember the name of the specific rpg although it is a general trend and a lot of the quick dot quick and dirty d100 systems is where every point of, to recover every point of injury you rolled uh d uh like a percentile dice and that was like a measure in and then there was like and it was modified by various things but 
it basically produced a number of weeks it would take you to recover a, a single point of damage. Wow. Uh, it, uh, medical and all medical help aid did was it, it let the medical person give their modifier to said D100 roll. Ah, gosh. Yeah, that there's... Boy, that blows. Jesus. Yeah, that sounds terrible in a lot of ways. Like, something that we seem to have come as mostly oh. a collective to realize across the industry is that this isn't fun. Like, yeah. this kind of sucks that your character's not doing anything and any of your downtime would be spent with not doing anything. It's like, we'd rather have stuff happen during downtime or skip over the recovery period. Like, there are issues, reasons for it as well, but I'll get into those later. So, yeah, everybody just do like starting discussion thing. We'll wander yeah, around from there. Yes. Yeah. What I want to say, uh, just to get this out of the way real quick, although I'm pretty sure six other people want to say this. And there's only four of us here. Is uh, the the big flaw with long term recovery, like just skipping, like just doing a time skip. Everybody needs to every time somebody needs to theoretically take a long time out. Is it kills any sense of urgency that there was in the game if you can just take three weeks off to recover from your injuries. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that so, we have to stop the evil empire from taking over the world. They can wait like two years. We got in a really bad fight. Right. I mean, just to, to throw in my two cents here, I think when I'm thinking about recovery mechanics in the game, it's really about setting a pacing. Um, and that might be in part for realism. Uh, that might be in part for the action of the game. Um, but I think the, the overall goal is to set some kind of time scale or uh, action to non-action uh, flow for the gameplay experience. Is that fair, or how do you guys think of it? I don't think it's always the case, but I think in a lot of cases it is. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't... I, I, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I don't think that's the case in D&D, &D, and I'll explain that reason mm -hmm. later. Yeah, no, I think um, there are a couple of things that went through my went through my head when you first brought up the idea of like talking about resources and and or recovery rather. Um, the uh, first was pacing because there, I mean that it, that is a mechanical tool that you that you can use to set pacing, um, and but that's not all it sets. And the other thing is tone so like the tone like your type but like as you mentioned cat the uh the fourth edition has had a kind of recovery thing that turned off a lot of people because it was like it felt akin to having healing potions just kind of in your body that could be activated by certain external stimuli uh and it was kind of weird in a way uh it didn't there was this idea that you yeah you could <clears throat> You can only heal so much in a day um, using magical uh, or anything. Like, you, you know, even, even if there was magical healing, there was a cap on how much magical healing would do any good. Um, and that's an interesting idea, but I feel the way it was implemented 
the tone didn't come across like that. It came across as you have healing potions in your body that are activated by your warlord yelling at you. And right. yeah, so there was there was like it because D and D had that fourth edition. I just didn't say D and D, but fourth edition in particular had um didn't care so much about the fiction you used to activate its mechanics in a way. So it, it in, in a way it was more free and open to describe the mechanical effects your character was having um, because the game already was like, yes, yelling at somebody to get up is functionally identical as a god intervening on their behalf. And there's you know, there's some some people like that kind of thing. Like, I think, you know, unified mechanics are generally a good idea in RPGs. Um, but there's something to be said for having... Um, flavor? Flavor, yeah. Well, Any that's, kind that's, of flavor. <laughs> no, why not? Wait, wait, wait. Let, but let me finish that point. The, the, the flavor there can come from either the description, and, and sometimes that's enough for people. I like a little bit more, like I like there to be a little bit of mechanical differentiation of some kind or another. Um, just so it does, like, I, I think you're right, Pat. I think, like, I, you know, it, it points to a broader issue that um, how, like, how, how much does flavor really, like, mechanics and flavor are so, so okay, so there's some people feel like they're not tied together at all. Like, you can take a mechanic and apply any skin to it, and it will feel like the skin. And then I think, Kat, you and I are more in the team on the side of, like, no, I want a little bit, or maybe even a lot, a bit different uh, mechanics so that the implementation of the rule actually feels different, and because that's how it affects the reality of the game. And so it kind of makes sense for it to affect that reality in a different way and it makes sense to mechanize that so that the players get a more visceral experiential sense of that difference i think i think recovery is in that is in that bucket of stuff where you can mechanize it in certain mm -hmm. ways to give certain feels um yeah i i think that's sort of true for me like on my side, I think it depends on the type of game. Like, if it's a lighthearted, like, fairly simplistic game, like, I don't mind if it's very simple. Like, if it's just something, like, it doesn't have to be, like, an RPG either. But, mm -hmm. like, any kind of board game. Like, I'm thinking specifically of Red Dragon Inn. Like, every character has ways to gamble. They have, every character has ways to deal physical damage or to deal like to get drunk stuff like that like mm -hmm. and they do have standardized mechanics for the great deal of that each character has their own unique things and the flavoring doesn't necessarily mean a huge deal in a lot of that mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter if you have like the one character who's like getting into tavern brawls because they're like a barbarian or you have like the character who's like whoops did i just happen to do that and happens to cause other people to start a fight like 
there's a little bit of flavor there, but the mechanics are identical in those cases. Mm. I don't mind that so much because it's a simple game. It's supposed to be very quick and easy, and each character has their own unique mechanics anyway. Mm -hmm. So they differentiate themselves in other ways other than that. For something that it's like, okay, I care about this particular character. I'm going to play this character for more than one session. Like, this is more than a half-hour game. I'm not just picking up, like, a pre-made, simplistic stereotype. Mm -hmm. I'm building my character that has my preferences and so on built into them. Okay, once we're getting into this kind of territory, I want a bit more meat on its bones. Like, I don't want to play 20 sessions of generic stereotype. I can do, I can do that for one session, sure. A fairly short session, not a problem. But I don't want to do it for like five to six hours at a time for like 20, 30, 40 sessions. Like, no, I, I want something that's actually unique to what I want to do at that point. Right. And I think that makes sense to Rob's point about the D&D the fourth edition thing, where it, it sounds like it was really about the design intent behind creating those uh, abilities that felt like they were the same for the ranger as it was for the paladin as it was for the cleric. It was just mechanically mm -hmm. well-balanced. And uh, I think even the, the recovery <laughs> mechanics right, were, were very much focused on the game as a game. So mm -hmm. everything was designed with the intention of being balanced and fun to, to play in the mechanical sense but it lost a lot of that, um, well, what does this really represent? And why uh, engage with this particular mechanic? Right. Um, or what does that mean for the world or how powerful our characters feel? A lot of that uh, got, I think, pushed down a little bit in 4th edition. And that's why they moved, I think, in 5th edition to a, a model that better reflected what 3rd edition was. It was a little bit more of a... Um, things are intentionally unbalanced now. Things are intentionally um, not designed for the best, most balanced game, but a little bit more of the um, lore of you are adventurers and you have these different abilities and you are magical or powerful in different ways. And accentuating that really made the game feel alive. I think there was a talk that like Mike Merles did about Fireball, how Fireball is like a a broken spell for its casting level. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was intentionally done that way because it feels awesome. It feels right to be a mage casting a fireball and you want to wreck face. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with the recovery mechanics that they want to introduce. Like, it, There's a reason why it's set that way and it's because it sets a different tone for oh, this fight was difficult, we need to take a break and have a breather, and mm -hmm. the mechanics are going to be there so that you feel the impact of what that fight or that conflict meant for your characters. Right. There's that, I mean, 4th edition also had, well, it's interesting you talk about the 4th, 5th thing, because in some ways, 5th edition kept the healing surges, they just called them hit dice. Um, and that's a, I mean, it's, it does, I think magical healing doesn't use those for some magical healing can activate them, but they're still there. They just conceptualize them differently. I mean, for like a lot of 
yeah there were some elements in fourth that made it into fifth they just renamed it but like what you're pointing to i think is the idea that like no not every mechanic works on the same plane right like the, the yeah. thing about the thing about like fourth edition that really kind of upset people and i think probably rightly so in hindsight was the idea of giving fighters daily abilities where it was just i didn't i mean it kind of makes sense from a game perspective but it was really hard to square with like oh i'm going to stab some guy for triple damage once a day it's like well why can't i stab him for triple damage all the time and it was like i mean yeah okay but you, i mean if you had if you had phrased the ability once per day you can just automatically critical your target then i don't think anybody would have had a problem with it i think it was just the way it was framed as here's an ability you can like it, it looks exactly like a wizard spell but it's you know it, it's a triple damage attack with your main weapon but it, it looks too much like a wizard spell and the wizard spell looks too much like it and the formatting i think really got to people more than the gameplay differentiation but it that but i think bringing up the mike Merle point was interesting because fireball was something in fourth edition that did not feel badass it felt kind of like Oh, okay. It's a third level. I mean, it's a daily spell and like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but like, it's not really like the best thing a wizard could do with that slot. You know, it, there was it, uh, some of the fantasy kind of, kind of did, wasn't there um, a little bit. And I feel like fourth edition relied maybe a bit too heavily on the players to do that work rather than giving them... Mm -hmm rather than giving them like a, a a lower rung on the ladder to grip onto to get into their character like because it was i don't know they're, they're i come back to i come back to the warlord yelling and the cleric um you know their their basic healing ability is almost identical and <clears throat> for some people that the formatting of it was really just like it shouldn't work the same way it should feel slightly different maybe the warlord should have the healing surge and the clerics thing shouldn't use the healing surge or should do something different or you know there there's so many ways you can split them apart this, i don't know yeah this kind of gets into but it feels different is what i'm saying yeah th this this does get into an issue that's been known for a much longer period of time that i think for game design i think it mostly showed up in the first StarCraft game was probably the first really big example of it. Because, like, before then, in, like, the video game side of things, everything was basically balanced around, like, you and your opponent are basically the same. Like, if you see a fighting game like Mortal Kombat, your characters basically do the same damage with a light punch. They do the same range, same speed. Like, it was only their special abilities that set them apart. If you didn't have the special abilities, they were basically identical. Yeah. Uh, same thing like Warcraft before Starcraft came out, like Warcraft 1 and 2. Like, what were the differences? Very minimal. They, they felt very similar to one another other than the spells that the, like, Necrolites or Clerics got. Clerics could heal, Necromancers raised undead instead like this is where that kind of balance came from but it wasn't until you hit something like starcraft that you actually had an actual 
switch where things were no longer like 90% plus the same. Like, was, yeah. suddenly there was a large divergence. It was like, we have these three separate species that play completely different from one another. There's no similarity really at all between them. Like, even their basic worker units are completely different from how they how they spawn, how they operate, and how they build buildings even. And this was suddenly a huge change. And that was the point where I think in game design as a whole, we kind of really started to understand like what you can do to make things feel very different from one another. And that if something is perfectly balanced, it's perfectly boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big difference between, uh, that's interesting you point to video games because the the example that comes up for me is the difference between Street Fighter 1 and 2. Street Fighter 1, nobody really knows of. Like, you could play Ryu or Ken, and they were basically the same. And uh, you, like, the game was kind of really difficult, basically. It was really hard, and the special moves did, you know, almost killed the other guy. So, but Street Fighter 2 was like, even the basic moves were different for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So you had this exactly what you're talking about, total asymmetry between the characters. Like some characters were better against others than others. Like it was easier for Ryu and Ken to beat Guile. Um, you know, like there were some certain matchups that didn't feel like very super balanced. Like E Honda versus Ryu and Ken felt like kind of rough because they had the uppercut. Like they, you know, anyway, the point is, is like, yeah, it was kind of like right around that time. Where, when did Starcraft come out? That was like 90. What? Uh, 90, 94, check. 95 in there, somewhere like that. Earlier than that, maybe 93. I don't know. Street Fighter um, 2. I 98, think apparently. 98. Okay, so Street Fighter 2, I think, was 91 or 92. And that was that was definitely like the first game that I ever ran across where there was asymmetry. It, it really mattered. It was like like stark. Like Dalsim, right? Dalsim could his basic attacks reach halfway across the screen, you know? Yeah, uh, which was really yeah. weird. Uh -huh. So, like that, I remember that that sort of asymmetry. I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting point to bring up about recovery, um, asymmetrical recovery. I feel like games that do that well, or one game that does that really well, that uh, is uh, the Forge in the Dark, Blaze in the Dark type stuff, where they have harm that takes time to work on it becomes a task for you basically to recover from mm -hmm. and then you have a different track of stress and the stress is your more sort of adventure to adventure recovery whereas harm can actually last oh you know over multiple heists if you don't address it um but the stress thing is really interesting because that recovery is recovery that can hurt you and does something generally when in, in blades in the dark when you're recovering stress you're taking your you're you're using your vice to do so and so you're always sort of doing something slightly seeking dark to get to get back into into the game so to speak so it's one way it's another way that you can use recovery to to push a certain tone in a game is the way of recovery, you know, 
are you using a cleric's healing powers? Are you indulging in drugs or gambling, prostitution, whatever like that? Like whatever. What I what I really like about it is mm-hmm. that it uh like if you imagine the scenario of Blades of the Dark, you have some misadventure that your group goes on. Mm-hmm. Then you've accrued all this stress and you need to blow off some steam in order to remove it. And mm-hmm. the act of blowing off steam is different for the different characters. And basically these all have at least a chance, if not like the intention behind it, is to get into trouble. That mm-hmm. you create more connections with the outside world, you have more debts that need to be paid, more trouble that will be caused when you go into your next adventure. So you're you're recovering in the stress sense of the word, but you're also gaining um, other baggage that you're taking with you to generate or to push the game forward. Like the right. entire point of the game master in those scenarios is just to like have more fuel for the fire of the next encounter, of the next main heist. Yeah. Um, and I like that way of using recovery to be able to drive the story, uh, not just like slow down the pace of the game. Right. Rob wants to say something, but I want to interject quickly and just say it's not really recovery in that sense. It's more of converting one type of damage into a different type. No. It's interesting. It it, it kind of is, though. Like, it's not necessarily damage on, like, a damage track, but it's like, I'm going to convert this bad thing, like stress, and I'm going to convert it into, oh, I've accidentally pissed off this rival gang instead. I'm not stressed anymore, but now I have a new problem to deal with. You've changed it from one problem into a different type of problem. So it's not the problem of I'm going to hit my stress cap and have bad things happen to me there. It's I'm converting it into a new problem that gives me something interesting to do with this stress that I no longer have. That's, that's a, sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I really like that. Uh, I, I think of it sort of like a, you're, the, the purpose is that you're taking this as like a narrative uh, output to recovering from your damage, which I think is really brilliant uh, as a mechanic. Like if you consider it as like damage to the, uh, I don't know, uh, integrity or the smooth sailingness of your plot mm-hmm. moving forward. Um, that's that is what you're doing. You're you're taking the number damage of stress and converting it into some kind of damage to that smooth sailing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that lore is what the GM can then use to push the story in a different way. And I I, I really like that. The, yeah. the other oh. thing that's happening there is you're dodging trauma. That's the other because you are reducing it away from an ultimate effect that is way worse for your character. So it's not just that you're reducing it to, it doesn't just push the story forward. It actually staves off something that's quite, that, that's quite detrimental. So there's, there, there, there's a recovery yeah. in that sense where it's not contributing, where it's moving away from a ultimate bad result, but it is pushing others. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. There's a, there's a, there's a way of like, it converts what? into narrative momentum. What I was wanted to say, like when I said, oh, it's still recovery, is kind of what Rob going to, but I want to phrase it like this. It's converting it from a problem that is purely like mechanical that, that can only be dealt with in certain ways 
to a narrative problem that you have to that is like innately easier to deal with and has less direct permanent consequences potentially more interesting too though like yeah. like keep in mind like the the point not really the point but any any interesting narrative aspect it's usually because there's some kind of conflict or problem if there's nothing to solve then it's usually not that interesting it's like well we walked to the next town and nothing happened it's like okay then we're going to skip over that until we get to the point where something bad happens because it's when bad things happen that that's what we're interested in so having it set up in such a way that anytime you're getting rid of the problem of oh i have low hit points or i i've been injured or i'm stressed out and converting that into a story problem so okay we have we naturally moved into something more interesting to happen like that makes perfect sense like that's that's just brilliant to do that i agree i it's interesting because you could imagine blades in the dark more poorly designed where the tracker the stress tracker could go from zero to 100 and once you hit 100 your character retires and then just between mission to mission um like your your character is instantly healed from whatever wounds um but mm -hmm. the ability to have this currency of this is the in-game problem that you're trying to avoid like in the in heist problem is taking stress and then as soon as that heist is over, instead of just resetting your character, instead of doing that, you're, you're trying to say, can I use that first negative to translate it into narrative problems, narrative negatives? Um, and I think that's a really, like Kutri said, brilliant use of the mechanics. Because I think, for, for me at least, the, the idea of designing around how do I get the story to come alive from the pieces of the puzzle that are there and have it basically tell itself? This is a great way of saying these are mechanics that are embedded in the system to be able to create uh, narrative negatives. Um, and it's just using the mechanics of the, I don't know, action part to help generate those narrative negatives. I think that's a really smart way of using your recovery mechanics. Yeah, I think it's, this is something that's especially good if you're not sure about how you're going to get, like, the players to keep having more stuff to do. Right. Now, this does assume, however, that there's something about this setting that needs to keep generating more stuff for them to do and that the players are not going to be able to generate stuff for themselves to do so you basically have it built into the mechanics so if you try to do nothing then it's still going to create a problem for you like you're you're always going to have some new generation of here's something that we have to deal with yeah i think that's part of the downtime mechanics in general though um, yeah. because the, the heat and um, fallout from, from the heist is also going to be in there, and that's it's part of that self. Um, it sort of perpetuates a little bit. There's one of the things it doesn't really do all that well is um, 
is create through lines of narrative based on the heists you're running. It leaves that to the to the players and the GM. Mm-hmm. But it because yeah, the, the because what I was saying was because it it actually uses a a chart system where it's sort of a you know there's like I don't think it mandates you do this, but it strongly implies that this is the the the, the default mode of play is to roll on these charts and then that that job somehow shows up through one of your contacts more or less i never i always interpreted those charts and maybe this is just how i run things as okay if you're stocking 10 think of it here's a list of things that could happen read them over or roll on it if you need to if if but uh, maybe it's just because the way i run it it was just like so hey um what do you want to do and like who are you reaching and who are you reaching out to and uh but that's just no that's that's a totally fair way of doing it it's just the 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 way the way it seems to encourage play to go is for is for jobs to come to the players at least initially and then and then from there you're i think you're meant to the the settings meant to sort of envelop you in its in its intrigue but but even then it doesn't it doesn't offer a scaffolding mechanic for one heist to naturally lead into the heist with another yeah yeah like it does kind of sort of have that and this isn't me like trying to defend it i'm just uh-huh. saying this it does exist in the in the it, there's the implicit like uh gang relations that they try to set you up with mm-hmm. and i think that's the attempt to give you some sort of starting point but i'm not sure that's actually actually functions the way it's intended or if that was its intended function hmm. yeah see something like this would not work for the way i'm setting up my game like it is a good idea i think it's a good concept and it's great if you're just like okay we're gonna dump like the players into this setting here's like basically enough to to get you doing something like you're not gonna be like bored like nothing nothing's going on it's like there's gonna be something that's gonna happen but for something like where I'm building mine, like it wouldn't work for me because I'm trying to set it up where the the focus is more on the players themselves, like the player characters. So the characters are generating their own problems and every time they do something, it doesn't really matter if it's for for downtime or resting or recovering, like whatever. It it would there's always something that at least one of the players is going to do something dumb and it's going to blow up in their face pretty much always so define it's like dumb i'm curious how that, how that's how how do you mechanically define dumb i'm just curious if you do i don't know i don't think i'm mechanically defining that i think this is more of the even if it seemed like a good idea at the time, mm-hmm. it's going to do something that's going to have unintended consequences. 
as a lot of the emphasis for how I'm setting things up is that decisions matter in the sense that no matter what decision you make, there's going to be something that happened that you probably didn't entirely predict. Because that's the nature of, you know, just the chaotic nature of life. And you can have totally uh, good intentions, but it's kind of like, you know, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's like, you can have the totally good and innocent character. They're trying to save the world and, oh, what have you unleashed in the process? over and over again every step of this path you have made everything worse but that's kind of a good thing like i i don't try to mechanically specify that because Mm. i think i i think it's the kind of thing that you can't really mechanize that truly in a way that would make it feel that it actually makes sense for each individual action that a player takes. Because if you do, then you've basically just stripped out like the role-playing aspect of it. You may as well just remove role-playing entirely and all of you know the advantage of having like a tabletop game where it's like you have a GM there. Mm-hmm. It's a living thinking brain. They can look at this concept and be like, okay, you've decided to liberate all of the monsters. Um, no, 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 uh, no unintended consequences could possibly come from this, this action. So how do you, but, but the thing is, how do you, so unintended consequences. So what is, what is, what is the prompt for the GM to put those unintended consequences there? And what's, how do you scale that? Honestly, I try to avoid putting too much mechanical uh, weight on that. Okay. Specifically because I do think that's one part that should be mostly left up to the GM. Like, there should be coaching and such that basically says, okay, when the players do anything that's standout, that's interesting, that anytime they do something that basically this is them either going very heavily towards like either their major character values that they've listed or they're going notably against it. Mm-hmm. Anything like that, because this is something that's going to come up on a regular basis since that's the intent of the game and it keeps focusing on those areas. Characters are going to do this naturally just because of them trying to do anything related to their story arc at all. Like, it doesn't matter what they're doing with their story arc, whether they're going for it or against it, they're going to do something that is either for or against it like even if they're completely ignoring it this is technically against it so all the gm really needs for coaching on that is just tell them this is what the character is supposed to be doing 
they've said that this is the nature of their character. Watch specifically for whether they're doing anything in relation to this, regardless of whether it's actively for it, actively against it, or just passive dismissal of it. And every time you see them do that, just write it down as a side note and have it come back to them later on. Ah, okay. Cool. Hi. I mean, yeah. that's, that's interesting. I, I mean, I mechanize that part. I, I mean, I'm basically I'm trying doing to what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the way I'm setting it up, because I'm focusing so heavily on individual characters rather than a group of characters, it's it's got to be more personalized in my game. Just like it's something that the GM has to focus on this individually. I don't, oh. I don't think I can mechanize it in such a way that would not boil down into something ridiculous, like a D one thousand table kind of thing. Mm. Okay. I mean, I can tell you how I think I've gotten around that because I totally recognize that the issue you're talking about. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know that I've gotten around it completely. It's it's so so it's it's the way it works is that when the players are having effects on their uh, their main their individual storylines in their journal, the the externalities of those storylines make it onto the main table, the main storyboard thing in the middle of the table. And though that the, there, those externalities are the, the despair, apathy, and cruelty that are, I mean, basically you're, we're talking about the same stuff, like either active rejection, uh, mm. passive rejection, or, um, or fighting it basically right so like you know combating being combative towards something having an active rejection of something or just being a passive I mean, it, it, they're boiling down to very similar buckets um yeah, similar. where like yeah where 90 percent of those stories would end up in the same something quite analogous um the idea being that uh, that's how i track what comes to a crisis so it it ends up being the concepts that the players all sort of put their put their externalities on become become the thing that pops up as as the you know one one of the big problems in the storyline so how that works is the that that the sort of energy output um of the board right the main the main I don't know what to call it. It's not region exactly. It kind of corresponds to like regional politics or the, you know, the, the city as of such, or, you know, the big picture, I guess. Um, I guess it's regional scope is the board. Yeah. So when you're looking at like regional concepts, the, um, the stuff that bounces back uh, from the regional concepts, so the regional concepts are broad, right? And so in the journal, you've written down specific things about the regional concepts, and when they bounce back at you, it's the specific things that pop back up again. So the way the way I do it is I mechanize uh, recurrence, and I mechanize opposition 
because generally what happens is the players will be to affect more stuff they'll have to affect it with their um with their learned disposition so whatever have ha like their aspect basically so like the aspects give you more power to affect things so using your aspect gives you more power to affect things um starting out using your aspect you uh will encounter the opposite of that aspect generally speaking as as your opposition so it it, it flavors the if it, it 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 reflects back at you the thing you wrote about in, in like the thing you talked about in your journal that was the whatever it was right that that put the thing in the main map but it taints it 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 colors it with the opposite of your own aspect so it comes back as this sort of dark reflection of your of your character that i leave that up to the gm though because that's the interpretive part for me that's like so when it pops up or if it pops up i guess is the mechanized part for me and then what pops up is sort of like I'm relying on the GM to, or not the GM, really the guide, uh, to take the players, um, take the players' input and 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 what what the player did about it initially, and then sort of come up with what the reaction looks like. And the reaction, like like you said, that would that's good. That would be the thing that would be like the D thousand chart. Yes. Um, so I'm giving I'm giving the, the guide um two basic points of reference mm -hmm. and then and then essentially the setting. The setting I guess would have so the two the two points of reference give you some other stuff like how like um apathy generally manifests in a disaster because people enough people ignored something that it went totally sideways. Uh, usually that's like a civil war or something like that because people weren't talking to each other. Despair is usually like um, what looks like an act of God type disaster. So that would be like a plague or sickness or a flood or something like that. Um, because that's basically people not preparing for what they know bad could happen because they're so convinced the bad thing is going to happen that they don't prepare for it, essentially. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy thing. And then cruelty is you're putting out... <clears throat> Uh, violent energy in the world and that will come back in a, a reflected form some way somehow that that's going to come that violent energy is going to be re-delivered to you yeah see the thing is this is a different focus it's like mm -hmm. you're basically building this in such a way that it works by having a group or having like your your war wizards your fate wizards that yeah. like the fated affect reality in this way like how this works is that you're focusing on the type of harm so if somebody's being apathetic to the problem mm -hmm. then apathy is what gets reflected because it's a much more quantifiable but generic kind of issue in a way because it's mm -hmm. like if you inflict apathy on the world then you can coalesce that back into apathy back on the players which makes perfect sense in your game the issue is like the way my game set up it's not it's not focused on these broader concepts like it doesn't really care if you're 
using apathy or if you're using like the, this violent outburst. What it cares about is, are you actually interacting with this specific thing? And it's anytime you interact with this thing, that's what it actually cares about. So it doesn't care about the form of how you're interacting with the thing, but the thing itself that you're interacting with. And because that thing is individual to the character, it's not really possible to have it as abstracted. It has to be more specific to the specific thing that the character is interacting with. So it kind of has to be more uh, something that the GM is going to be focused on. Mm -hmm. I can't really just have a guide in this particular way because of the nature of that. Like it, it, it's too zoomed in on the specifics of it being, this is a very individual problem to this very individual character. And I can't write out every specific scenario or use broad generic examples of what this is going to have happen. Mm -hmm. This has to be handled on a case by case basis. Hmm. Do you think that's a lot of, <clears throat> that sounds daunting from a GM perspective? I wonder what, uh, what tools you're offering there. But I, that's, I think might, we might be way off topic. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're a little bit further off topic than we should be. But I wanted to at least cover why I was doing that. But anyway, to, to get on to actually back to the topic we're supposed to be talking about, like the recovery thing. Mm -hmm. There's two things I wanted to cover about things like uh, that Mark had said, actually. So going way back to the thing about Mike Merles and the fireball comment, mm -hmm. this is kind of an issue, not, not just with recovery, but it's part of how like D&D handles recovery as a concept, like regardless of addition, like um, even if fourth edition fireball was, I think you had said it was like a once per time thing. I don't think I've really looked at wizards mm -hmm. in fourth edition all that heavily, but anyway, the idea is D&D as a concept has always been based off fancy and magic. There's okay. always this, you have to prepare things in advance. You have a limited number of spells you can cast per day. You have a limited amount of hit points. Even if we use magical healing, like you're still limited by the amount of healing your cleric can do per day. Yeah. So what this really boils down to, everything there basically turns into uh, resource management is what it really is looking at. Like this kind of ties the two things I was going to cover together. But like when you have, when you use a fireball, like let's say you just got to level five as a wizard, maybe six as a sorcerer, or however they've got it set up for your particular class. Mm -hmm. Okay, your first time doing this, you have one fireball spell you can cast per long rest or however long whichever edition you're playing as. It's like, uh -huh. okay, I can do the one fireball. 
okay, this is a problem because the if you're using a fireball, then you're not using a similar spell like lightning bolt or vampiric touch or any of these other ones that are all third level spells mm -hmm. this becomes an issue because if you make fireball overpowered then you've made all of these other ones pointless that's already an issue but more than that it really does come down to the recovery issue of how dnd handles this at all is that everything in dnd is focused on a war of attrition so if you're if you have the spell system they do it's built around the idea that you're not doing big meaningful battles it's built around the concept that you're going to fight well here's some orcs and here's some goblins and mm -hmm. here's a shit ton of kobolds and you know that these aren't difficult fights they're not hard fights they're not here because it's like a meaningful battle against like your arch nemesis it's like no this is cannon fodder to run you out of spells <laughs> right yeah you are running out of hit points the cleric is running out of healing spells that's what your hit points actually are are the cleric spells like it's all about the spell slots it's all about the attrition so that you get into the recovery it's like do you have time for a long rest so that you can get your spells back if you take this away, then you've basically broken all of D and D. <laughs> like right. the entire game falls apart if you do not do these many little battles of it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it, it's four orcs. Like well, they're just they're just guarding the the bridge. It's like okay, well, I mean we can use like a spell that knocks them back and just push them over the bridge. Okay, yeah, but you've used a spell. So they've served their purpose. Mm -hmm. Are you going to camp out on the bridge and recover your spells? Yeah, and that's exactly like some of the issue with the, the mechanics for pacing um, is that what is exactly preventing someone from just like, oh, okay, I've come across this problem. I will solve it with all of my most like powerful spells and right. then I can rest. And unless there is some motivating factor to saying, well, uh, the the day is not yet over, you still have this objective. Like if you get to town a day late, uh, everyone's gonna be, I don't know, uh, in trouble. Like that's even worse for your situation. Like, the orcs are gonna have invaded by then, so you must press on. Um, but in a way, the the pacing has to go hand in hand with the, like the narrative pacing has to go hand in hand with that recovery, um, mm -hmm. because it needs to flow logically from what the story is telling you, and if it doesn't, that's there's a breakdown there. Our, our mechanics are linked to a, a narrative day uh, or a day's rest, and if there isn't that incentive to push on during the day, then your, your recovery me mechanic just can be a full heal after every fight. Which is kind of an issue in the sense that this is where you get the five-minute adventuring day. It's like, mm -hmm. we're in combat for five minutes, and then we set up camp because we had to lick our wounds. 
in the druid's case, perhaps literally. But the, yeah, that's what the rope act- trick is for. That's the thing. There's like a spell built into the game that hides you for eight hours. Yes, I mean, like I, I, it's in third. I don't know how, like, if it's that crazy in fifth edition, like if it's still that good. Uh, but in third edition, that was the the party can rest, and there's basically no chance of being interrupted or attacked. And as long as there isn't a game advert, like a game, an in-game reason why there's a ticking time bomb somewhere, you don't. Yeah. Like it's kind of it's kind of like you've eliminated that threat inside the mechanics of your game at yeah. third level of the out of twenty. Like. Yeah, that that guys. runs into the issue with pacing, as Mark was saying, because. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't do that, though. Mm-hmm. Let's like, assume a gentleman's agreement, you don't use that spell, yes. Yeah, well, even if we don't use that particular, I don't know if you'd call it an exploit, but the concept is, if you are doing what Mark said, like giving an in-game reason, like, oh, well, you only have 24 hours to do this, that means you have basically um, two long rests you can take and then travel time. So you have to you have a limited amount of uses that you can do for this this means every single time that you do anything you have to put that timed limitation on and this starts getting into more and more ridiculous situations or you just stop caring about it and then oh well we're super powerful every time we don't do this like we're so used to being on a timer that as soon as we're not on a timer i guess we blow up every spell we have the moment that we get the opportunity to do so and take a nap like five minutes later and it's like okay that that was fun for this one time but now now we want to use our abilities on a regular basis yeah and honestly well i guess uh, my perspective with the the D and D mechanics being linked to day cycles is that it is it it almost needs that kind of really compelling reason to uh, push the story forward on a daily basis. So um, one thing I'm gonna uh, slightly spoil the premise of Baldur's Gate three. So if that's something you care about, uh, plug your ears. But I, uh, I've been playing Torment again. I'm sorry, Baldur's Gate 3 just will not match Torment. Okay. <laughs> um, so the idea is that they are using D&D mechanics. So you can rest mm-hmm. at camp and it takes a day. Now, the story of that game is that you have been implanted with an illithid tadpole. Uh, it is in your brain, and every day that goes by puts you at greater risk of transforming into a mind flare. So you don't know how long that's going to be. You have a goal of trying to heal yourself um, of this like tadpole that's in your brain. And basically, you have to choose whether you're going to push forward and risk uh, not having all of the resources ready, or are you going to take a rest and suffer the long-term narrative consequences of this tadpole growing stronger inside of you? Um, and I, I think that gives such a great context for um, the decisions that you have to make of pushing forward versus recovering, because then it sets up the stage for the 
types of decisions I think the game really wants you to make and the consequences of failed diplomacy checks um, to get past the goblins at the bridge or whatever. I, I guess that makes sense. I need to step away for just a second one. Okay, Rob. The, the issue I have with that is that it, it winds up with everything turning into on a timer. And especially in games where it often doesn't make sense for things to be on a timer, where the game mechanics are not really great for doing things on a timer, like you're now in a situation where you're penalized for making use of basic things like resting to get your spells back. I I I see why they're trying to do this, but the this does get into a problem where like it kind of reminds me of the issue with like XCOM 2. Be, because every single mission was timed. Mm. And it's a game where the correct way to play is to move forward cautiously, like basically set up a, a, a kill box, essentially wait for uh, your characters to catch up, move one out forwards as bait, lure the enemies out of their cover, and then shred them as soon as, you know, they're out in the open. Except that doesn't work. Like, you basically had to run forwards every turn as fast as you could because the timers were so short. It basically prevented you from making good decisions. Well, arguably that made you make difficult decisions because then you had to decide between the most tactically advantageous and the mechanic that you're being forced to abide by. So I think it it set up a type of gameplay that maybe you didn't connect with, but I think that's what the design intent was. Oh, that's was. definitely what the design intent was. Right. The issue is if you're going to be doing that kind of thing, if it it's very tricky to set it up. Because if the the turn limitations, like you can only do so many turns before terrible things happen. If they're too lax, then they basically don't matter. Like, they cease to exist as a mechanic for all intents and purposes. If you have enough time to do everything you want, then it's not really a limitation. If it's too tight, however, which is basically what it wound up like a lot of the time, it meant that it's not really a tactical game anymore because your tactics basically don't matter. You don't get the choice to do something that's a good idea. It's like you're always picking the bad idea to rush forwards, whether you're ready or not, because you don't have any other option. Like, that's unfortunately what happens when you try to play with these kind of things. Like, if you try to force things to be on a timer, it's almost always either too short of a timer or too long of a timer. You can get a sweet spot in between the middle ground there, but it's a very narrow middle ground compared to the areas that are 
not particularly enjoyable. That does change based on player, though, as as you were saying. Like there are different uh, preferences for each player for what they consider to be a good amount, but a lot of that's based on play style as well, right? Like if you have a player that likes to be, you know, cautious and careful, then basically you're never going to be able to do a time system that will appeal to them. If you have a player that enjoys rushing through everything and everything is a time trial, like they're trying to do a, a speed run of the game, then your mechanics actually don't affect them. So the people that actually enjoy that kind of thing aren't actually affected by that sort of thing, which is kind of weird. It basically means that what you've essentially done is told the player there is one right way to play the game. If you're not this kind of player, then you're not going to have fun with the game. If you are this kind of player, you're not actually going to notice the mechanic exists. And I guess that's true with the, the binary success or fail of a mission. I think that there's sort of the gray area space, which is more of the narrative consequence that you could probably more likely explore with like um, the the D and D uh, ideas, where <laughs> okay, you didn't you didn't make it on day one, but you also didn't wait until the fight was over. Like you you have something that you can um, play with there. Um, there's also the idea of like whether this pressure is enough to um, stimulate the role play that you're looking for, and maybe ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, as the GM, you could say that it doesn't matter if they took four days or 25 days to get there, but just the act of their characters being under this time pressure sets them to go about thinking of their like rest and recovery in a different way. Oh, it totally does. Like, right. We have totally studied that across like games in general. Like As soon as you put a timer on anything, even if it's an extremely lax timer, it, it does change how people um, think about a problem. Right. Like Not just in games, but in work as well. Like If you give somebody a deadline, even if it's a very lax deadline, it does actually alter how people do things. Um, actually, that was one thing that they warned me about specifically in college. Like, they went out of their way to really stress this. If you are given a week to do something that only takes a day, do it immediately. Like, ignore the timer. Just do it immediately. Because if you, if you don't, you're going to find that, oh, I have a day to do it. Like, I have a week to do it, but it's only going to take me a day. So... I can put it off till tomorrow and the next day until the last day. And it's like, I have three hours left, shit. And then you panic and do it at the end because that's what happens when you set timers on things. Like, it, it does actually change how people interact with things almost universally in a negative way. Like, timers are almost never a good thing for anything that you're trying to do. Hmm. Interesting. Like, yeah. It, I, I, it's really weird. Just human psychology and timers do not go very well together. That is interesting because I think 
the the general idea behind a lot of recovery mechanics is to use this as a time keeping piece. Um, so it's kind of interesting that it's uh, your philosophy is that it doesn't work. So how are you approaching? Recovery? It can. It totally can for some some people, but they're actually a fairly small minority as all. Well. It's like. There's definitely going to be somebody who'll come by and listen to this at some point and be like, no, I have no problems with timers. And if I didn't have timers, I'd never get anything done. Right. But, now, I'm just curious, how, how are you approaching using recovery mechanics and rest in your game system? Does it, does it couple with time or are you uh, approaching it a different way? Uh, recovery in terms of like the normal methods of things like, say, the in-between combat recovery, for example, I don't do it at all. Like, as soon as combat's over, you're restored to full. All of your spells are back at full. Everything that you had that you were limited on is restored. Specifically because the, the issue I found was actually one that D&D taught me, which is that if you put in like limitations that have delays on recovery for like uh spells and such if you do not use that mechanic then it has no effect so you have to wear down the players all the time otherwise you've missed the point of the mechanic existing and the entire balance of the game breaks down if you start ignoring fundamental things like how frequently the uh, the characters are able to use their abilities. Instead, I focus on in-combat uh, things, so like recovery within combat. So getting generating resources and the rate at which you use the resources. That's the important part. Like recovery out of combat basically doesn't exist for like stats and such. It's more in that case, it's more of things like um in between every every session, assuming that you're playing um you know moderately long like you know standard right ish game session of three to six hours in live chat for example then uh, presumably within a session of about that length that's probably long enough to finish like the main story for that session and you'll have like a one month gap in between the sessions and that's where like recovery type things of like mentally processing the events that happened uh stuff like that all that kind of stuff takes place so like your recovery mentally in that situation happens in between the game sessions but combat is automatic as soon as combat ends like even if you stop a fight and it's like okay we just managed to get over this 
we were really badly beaten down, but as soon as it's over, you're healed to full. Oh, five seconds later, we started another fight because something jumped us that we weren't expecting. Doesn't matter, you're still at full now. So... I can imagine it also helps a lot with your, your bookkeeping. Um, like, if the focus of your game is a lot more on the character or narrative side, then um, having those kinds of easy, or I'd say easy, but um, uh, full recovery mechanics where it's like, this section of the game is going to focus on your resources in a different way. You're going to have to micromanage them, use them during combat, and try to recover them or sustain them. And then as soon as that's done, you don't have to worry about that anymore. That's all back up to full, ready for your next uh, right. fight or encounter. And it, it makes it uh, so that you have that gameplay element, you're able to dig into the crunch, um, and then as soon as that's over, you're able to reflect on that as a, as a character. And I think that's really what your aim is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't really want to focus on combat out of combat. Combat is its thing. It is its own thing. When, exactly. when you're not in combat, you don't need to still worry about, ah, should I really get into a fight with this guy? I mean, I've only got like 10 hit points left. It's like, you're now using combat mechanics and you're not even in combat, you're deciding whether to get into combat. It's like, I don't want these to be interacting in that way. So then, um, how, how does the player feel consequences to the act of mismanaging their resources during the combat, but not to the point where they've, uh, I guess, completely lost the fight? Like, um, if I say, you know, I, I am, um, I go down to one HP every fight, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing okay, like I've won the fight, and the next one I, I go up to full, is there a way that a player feels that consequence? Or is that um, not as important to you as telling the story of why that fight was there, why it's important to that player? It is a little important, but it, I, I think it's more based on, like, the concept you were saying, like, it's why you're having the fight in the first place. Like, I don't want, like, the little, oh, well, you're fighting, like, nameless minions. They don't actually have any purpose other than to slow you down. It's like, there's no real purpose for that in this game. That's not the, that's not the point of it. Like, if you're going to get in a fight, it's probably because there's a big story reason for it to exist. And if there's going to be a big story reason for a fight to exist, then you should be going all out. And it means that combat is actually meant to be balanced. Like, it's not currently set up that way. I'm still tweaking numbers. It's a little bit on the easier side than I want it to be yet, but I'll tweak that later. Um, it's more meant to be, if you're in a fight, you should be doing like the life or death kind of thing, like trying to use everything you can to survive this fight. And to like, you're not limited by, do I have to worry about saving the fireball for the next room? Like it should be here and now, do I have to worry about getting past this point right now, or is this going to do terrible things to me? 
Right. Anyway, it just means like every fight should feel like a boss fight. Like if it's not like a boss fight, there's no story to it. There's no risk to it. Why are you even fighting? Like that's just mm -hmm. my take on it. I like that, especially for your your game mechanics. Like, I think it makes perfect sense that the the idea of the character is so much more important to you than um, I think the like fiddly bits of tracking what their HP is after the fight. Yeah, it kind of matters during a fight. Like like you were saying, like the the question about like what happens if you get low on life. Right. I, if you're getting down to one hit point, but you're not going below it, that might be risky, and it might cause problems in the future because each fight is meant to have unique mechanics, and it's built in such a way that the GM can create more interesting opposition every time you get in a fight. So this is probably not a good idea, and it will come back to bite you pretty quickly. But if you are going down every fight but you are technically winning the fights this can be a valid mechanic you can actually do this you can actually say this is a valid strategy it's working for us it's a little bit on the risky side but you know a glass cannon is a perfectly legitimate choice maybe we should do a little bit more to protect the glass cannon <laughs> But that's a choice that you can make. You can have a character that's meant to be taking all the hits and they're willing to die for their friends and maybe that's their story arc. And they actually feel guilty if they don't get knocked out during a fight. So I have like, a question. Uh, do you have the, the class that gets powered up, the more damage it takes, etc., the revenge-based yes. class? Okay, good. Just yep yep totally <laughs> totally i have more than one variant of it but like the whole berserker style concept like i'm not supposed to wear armor i have a shit ton of health but i i am very squishy if you hit me bad things happen to me but that's okay i've got a lot of it i'm pure bulk and every time you hit me you're just gonna make me more angry but that's the concept of, you know, the whole Berserker style character, like run into the middle of everything. And the good offense is the best defense because they stop hitting you when everything's dead. There's... Generally speaking, unless your RPG works very differently than the standard model, uh, gen uh, most things lose a lot of their combat efficiency and ability to do damage when they're lying splattered on the, mm. on the walls. Usually. There are exceptions to that, but yeah, usually. Yeah. I I also have other variants as well, like I have a sort of Berserker-style tank set up as well. Like, their concept is, you know, the, the sort of mama bear idea of, you touched my children. This was a terrible mistake upon your part. You shouldn't have done that. You are going to regret it. You're just not going to live to regret it for very long. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I, I really like, there was, that was one thing that 4th edition actually did well, was do, 
do like it was really good at at aping anime fighting styles <laughs> it was really good at that there was a there was a fire build towards the end where like every attack gave them temporary hit points so they would just I think it was like based on battle rage or something like that but they were like all about constitution and punching stuff with co their constitution stat and like their their con gave them the more hit, temporary hit points so like they just had this field of temp hp that renewed every time they went it was it, it was interesting because they you know towards the end of the the, the edition they started really playing around with the mechanics and i feel like there could have been a really interesting game that had that it took all the best stuff from you know the entire canon of 4e and sort of consolidated it and stripped out a lot of the extraneous stuff that i think could go but yeah i i, I yeah. really like the concept behind 4e i don't think i necessarily liked all the implementation of it it's a super but I like game the concept. yeah yeah, yeah, I like the concept too. I mean, it, it does feel like even at first level, and because you were confident at first level, right? That was something that that you made it feel not like D and D as well. Um, like, but once you were like at epic level, it really felt like a supers game, and it was really fun because it just sort of was like, yeah, we're just admitting that it's a supers game. You know, third edition pretty much feels like a supers game at high levels anyway. You know, and you're punching gods in the face. How is it not a supers game at that point? So, mm. yeah, that's kind of my concept as well. Like if you're like, that's one thing that recovery as a concept mm -hmm. does actually interfere with too. Like, yeah, if you get in a fight with a god and you're basically spend the next three years recovering from it. It's like, okay, that doesn't really feel like you beat the god really it's like no i want to have like characters pick up mountains and throw them at each other like this should be totally like a thing that you can do eventually like it's a high level ability kind of thing that you could do that but like this should feel something like an episode of like one piece or something where it's like yeah there there's very high end combat yes it's very ridiculous and over the top but the, the thing is if you're a supers character you need a stronger enemy than you are like the enemies should always be overwhelmingly powerful it's like this unless it's like the story is superman having to constantly hold back all the time and it's like that could be interesting as a story arc and i do have that planned for something in an expansion but it's not the current concept like the current concept is more no matter how powerful and badass you may be there's somebody bigger and stronger out there and you're always going to be fighting uphill like no matter how big you are you're going to have to fight something bigger and that is kind of the uphill climb like it should kind of feel like yeah you're an amazing badass but <laughs> you're still rolling the rock up the hill and it keeps coming back down again mm -hmm. you get better at rolling the rock up the hill eventually you can throw it halfway up the hill with like a single punch and it's like okay that 
seems pretty awesome. Like I punched the fucking boulder. It went halfway up a mountain. Then I ran up and punched it again. And then it rolled down and flattened me. I don't, I don't know if that's like an enticing way to describe your game, but it sure sounds honest. Probably. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not something that you necessarily feel like you're amazing all the time. It should feel like I am amazing, but I'm not amazing enough. Mm -hmm. I have to get better. And when I get better, then I feel amazing. And then I run into another brick wall where it turns out I wasn't amazing enough. Don't worry. I've already proven I can get better in the past. I can do this again. As many times as it takes until there's nothing left that can get in my way. But there's always something that's left that can get in your way. And that's kind of the point it is sort of analogous to life. Like, mm -hmm. you can't it's like if you have like a phobia of something, you never truly stop being afraid of it. The only thing, like you can't get to a point where it doesn't scare you. You just get to a point where you're brave enough that you can handle going through it as a problem. Like you are making yourself stronger, not making the world safer. Right. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think. Yeah, broadly speaking, I think I agree with you. Yeah. What are we talking about? Recovery in games. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, uh, I do think to segue that back into recovery in this kind of setup. You, mm -hmm. If I don't trust you to segue it back into recovery. Tell yeah, me once. I can totally do this. So <laughs> okay. I want to hear where she's going with this. All right. On the recovery side of things. If you can, if every time you test your limits, mm -hmm. you're horribly penalized for it. It's like, okay, this is going to be like a three-month recovery process. You're not really going to be able to, to learn much from it. Like, you spend all your time recovering rather than improving. Okay. The emphasis for how I'm trying to set it up is just so that the recovery between combat or stuff like that is basically non-existent. It's like, if you find out that you aren't capable of doing something, then you should be putting your efforts into being able to actually do something about it rather than laying in bed trying to heal up. Like, this should not be... This should not be the end of your your character's story arc. Like, oh, we lost once, so I guess we died, and that's the end of it. It should not be, oh, we spent like the next three months in bed. It's like, okay, we figured out where our weakness was, and here's what we did to to fix our weakness so it wasn't a problem. And then we went right back up and fought it again once we knew what we had done wrong. But, yeah, like, the idea is just, it only really makes sense for that kind of recovery for this kind of game, really. 
Hmm. So your your game doesn't really have the concept of the the long breather. It does in a way, but it's more that's more like processing the information that you've gotten. That's more like your path to redemption stuff, your your psychological understanding of things, not your physical side of things. Like you don't need to recover your hit points or your spells. Any recovery is basically like I wore myself out mentally trying to understand this concept. I I need a little bit of time to think about uh what I've encountered and actually reflect on what I could do to improve myself. But that's basically an in-between session setup. Okay, interesting. But I totally did segue back to recovery. So. Mm. Uh, yeah. Rob, um, any um, ways that you wanted to touch on how with your game, you're uh, looking at recovery mechanics uh, and how you're using Yeah, uh, I would. I mean, the way it's been sort of going is they there was there was a uh, recovery was just sort of a thing you could do as a part of progressing the story forward. Like it was sort of on you to decide when to take it, um, and it added to urgency so that's something that could forcibly progress the story uh that's the the general that's how i conceptualize time i don't do days really i mean I, it's sort of loose and abstract there's just sort of actions that you take build urgency urgency can push the the story forward um I mean, that's recovery was fine. just a th yeah yeah sorry go ahead no it's totally fine to abstract it as urgency like that is what time is like mm -hmm. in terms of a game it's how badly do I need to get this done now yeah. or in the very near future or can I put this off for a bit like that's right. all you really need in a game for something like that yeah so recovery was just something that added to urgency and um. And it was really just like you erase the check boxes you've gotten on your on your character sheet, and you uh, spend whatever resources that you required to to take care of that particular kind of recovery. So that wasn't really tied to um, a strong. There wasn't a strong mechanical tie to that. It was like. All right, if the guide says you need, you know, it's a wound, you need to spend resources because healing supplies, then that's something you do. Or if you have, you know, a healer in your party, they can spend spell resources and then that's, they can heal you that way. Or, um, you know, there's any number of, of ways you can justify recovering from something. Uh, there, there, when you recover from stress, that was basically just trading uh removing stress for urgency so it was kind of close to a one-to-one -one. um 
Uh, yeah. That doesn't always work, though. Oh, I, I know. There is uh, definitely a case where, oh, the urgency is going higher. Stress is now higher because things are now urgent. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a different kind of, that's a, that I would stress in that when I was conceptualizing, conceptualizing it like that was more like, had more to do with troop cohesion than, ah. than personal distress or anything like that. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. This is all past so tense in, as well, I'm noticing. I'm sorry? This is all past tense. It's past I'm tense, noticing. yeah. So, so the way, yeah, so there's no stress anymore in the game. Um, well, there's, there's stress, but it, it, it goes into one of your three, one of your three selves. And oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you can have psychological stress. Uh, you can have relational stress, and you can have physical stress, basically. Uh, uh, relational stress manifests as loss of trust, so that damages trust between you and another entity. Uh, I'm not really sure how I'm conceptualizing that on the individual level, on the community level. It's just your relationship to that community and how much they're willing to help you, basically. Um, I might just do that same thing with the individuals. Like, it just sort of like the amount of trust you have with that person limits the amount they contribute, you know? Um, but, uh, and then psychological stress adds to your, your, your capacity to deal with things, right? As it would. Uh, and physical stress is basically, it's not necessarily trauma to your body, but it's, it's pushing it past like physical stress would be, it's not something that you do when you lift something heavy. It's like, uh, march until like go from a city to a city would be an example of something like that. Like go, go to the next town quickly, you know, in, in time for the next story event to not occur, you know, get there f fast enough for something to, to, to beat the clock, um, mm -hmm. would be an example of, of physical so double time quick march for yeah like three days yeah whatever the story whatever that bracket is because that's like urgency i'm not i think well i don't know i really urgency only applies to one scope of the story and i don't think it needs to apply to the individual or the regional scope i think the clickers for those are uh more and less granular i think the only time like I, the the moving events forward needs to be randomized is at the uh like the faction like broader strokes level like i need to track that this event might go off at some point where this faction might get this thing right like they they it's basically like does this faction achieve its goal did you intervene or did this thing that you could have stopped come to pass or did you achieve your goal out here that isn't uh mm. isn't necessarily a title faction but it's a large a broader goal like uh uh research research a spell could be something you want to do right and then did you achieve it by this point and if not maybe the opportunity's lost or maybe you're willing to sink resources in at the final moment to try and push yourself over the edge and kind of cram or maybe like somebody learns the spell before you and destroys the research, you know, like there's however it's going to go wrong uh, and make the goal inaccessible. 
um, is is what happens at the end of that time if you don't if you don't push through. So um, recovery though is like you know I I thought about it a lot because it really does one of the, one of the things that bugged me as it bugs many of us is the is the five minute adventuring day thing where it's okay I just you know I want to use all my cool shit because why wouldn't I and that's really fun but then every fight is me using all my cool shit and that's kind of boring if the game's not designed around that um yeah that's one thing i noticed very quickly is that mm -hmm. this helps if you have mechanics where you build stuff up during a fight rather than you have access to all of your biggest stuff at the very start and you blow them all and then as the fight goes on right you just get weaker and weaker and it, until you have like two people barely standing up slap fighting each yeah, other. Yeah, there's a really a really great mechanic that uh that was in 13th age is the escalation die that starts out at mm -hmm. one and then every round goes up increments up one and some things you can only do when the escalation die hits a certain level and the escalation die adds to damage I think by default or can add uh, to damage. it's it's the hit because it's the hit, yeah. Because of how D&D &D works. Right. So it adds to hit, and that means that your if you save your best stuff for later in the fight, it's going to be way more accurate. That's a really cool mechanic. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a really cool mechanic. I was stealing it for a while for Ashes. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have something similar with the uh, the charge mechanic. Like every mm -hmm. turn that goes by, you get another charge, and you can spend them on equivalent to like Final Fantasy style limit breaks. Like right. the concept is you can do this really amazing stuff that will completely turn the tide of battle, but you have to wait until you're later into the fight before you can do it. Like you have to build up to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it, it I the it's similar in that way. Um where although the the, the thing about what I like about the escalation die is that your best stuff is available at the start of the fight, you're just strongly disincentivized for from using it. Um mm. Uh, you know, it gets really nice around like because around like around four plus four to hit is like pretty significant in a D twenty game. Yeah, um, it's basically uh, its main function, like in my experience of when I was running it, is mm -hmm. it was an it was an encouragement to ensure the things did not go past, like the things didn't get bogged down in stock in round, like like things didn't go to round six because, yeah. Yeah, there's only so much missing you can do. Right, at a certain point, um, to do their level best, <laughs> I will say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. one of the best fe one of the best features that came out of that out of that game was the escalation die. It was really good for a lot of reasons. Yeah, um, it's very similar for the same reasoning or similar reasoning. Like the idea is that like combat should not be going past like round five or six if you've gone five or six rounds of combat then you want to tidy it up quickly and mm -hmm. stakes should get higher things should basically start accelerating like you should be if you get to this point you should be happy because now you're going to start dropping meteors on people kind of thing <laughs> like it should be this is the epic thing and then everything's over and we can get on with it. Mm -hmm. So 
recently in ashes where the, the the way that recovery is is working now is i don't i don't really have recovery mechanic built in at this time so what it looks like is you spend effort basically on a given on a given page of the journal you can spend effort up to your uh selves in um up to your the, the limit of yourselves in, in uh, on different things and going over that threatens you're basically risking at that point your your health at some level you're either risking you start out by risking um stress uh and then you can risk damage as well so you can you can really put yourself on the line for something um or like early on if you if you want it's like hey it, i i am willing to die to get into this camp to you know get these plants and you might put you know your might say like i'm willing to push through the, these amount of obstacles and this stuff and i'm willing to risk bodily harm in order to achieve my goal and um, you might want to limit that to i'm willing to come back missing an arm as long as i have the plans with me but i, I assume you don't I'm, die yeah because like you're like i'm willing to die for this and it's like well it's very hard to bring the plans back when you're dead right functionally willing to die right so the idea being like i they're, they're, i'm willing to put my life on the line to see this achieved um and as being you, because you can see fate you're probably not going to die if you do there's there's something that happens in the game that's i'm not going to talk about um so so the way recovery works now is it's sort of assumed that when the page turns in the journal recovery happens and that's that's sort of like a hand like that sort of triggers um a page turning is 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 these events are going to get resolved there's going to be downtime for one reason or another and then what you know i i think the determination of what happens during that that period will happen will be based on what was going on what you did in that story so it'll be you know the the story will be about you let's say that that, that infiltration into the camp did not go well and you put your body on the line for that and you ended up barely getting away with your life and so now you have a character that's that's needs significant help to recover and you there's going to be something in the turning of the page that is okay did you put resources towards helping this this person recover and if so, is that a, like a thing that happens? Or when you turn the page, is this like person going to, is it going to get worse or better based on what you're attending to? So if you leave room for something bad to happen and you're like, okay, I'm going to devote resources, you know, earmark essentially resources for something to go wrong, then you may have a chance of recovering from a bad thing before, before it matters. Uh, or you may need to now spend resources or time on that next page turn to get yourself out of that hole, or you can continue to stay that hole, you know, it doesn't may, and maybe, maybe something good happens on its own, or you can take 
um, a resource that you get through another action and put that towards healing. Like say you make a friend who's a really good healer on a particular exploration thing, or, or, or when you're doing an engage, you're engaging a, a community and they happen to have a good healer and you're like, Hey, I, we got, you know, you did something extra for them. It went particularly well. And now you can say like, well, I'm going to take this power from this, from this engage action and put it towards healing my my guy and that's going the story is that the ally that i made this friend that i made in this community over here trust me enough to like come to us and you know tend to my hurt friend so there's like a, a there's ways the story can i don't put because i'm trying to make it make the narrative open enough to handle a lot of eventualities the recovery mechanic got simpler that makes perfect sense. So it's it's more about filling in the gap of what the recovery looks like, and then what what elements you bring to bear to do make that happen, and then those story elements carry forward. So that ally doesn't go away, right? Once you've once you've instantiated them, once you've like they've manifested to help your your person. Now they're part of that community, and then you have access to them later, and you can you know. If your trust is still good with that community, then you they, maybe you get them for free, or maybe that you know they have to do something, and so they need that person, and or they need your support now um, because that person's in trouble. It just puts another sort of name in the world when you do stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, recovery like doesn't. I don't think it happens on the character sheet anymore, uh, which is kind of weird. Very interesting. I was, I, I was trying to figure out how that was going to go. I, just, I think I just talked myself into that. So <laughs> I suppose that's one way to do it. So basically, you turn the page and problem solved. Well, not problem solved. It's 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 problem persists, but the 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 the, the recovery action is implicit. In yeah, the in the page turner yeah, it it could it could persist or it might not, but it it had to, I ha yeah, it was something that kind of, I don't know that I it's I guess it's my way of solving that that issue I brought up with Blades in the Dark in the beginning where it's like there wasn't a good way of tracking certain elements heist to heist, um, except except as the GMs guiding that story right but there's no good way for like the players to track that sort of stuff all that well so i i i think by having the individual journals and then the main board that's how that's how that's how it works uh and then having the character sheets and the character sheets are also in pen now so uh like you there they, and they start mostly blank apparently now <laughs> there's there's only like three or four things on there. Um, and then you start filling in in dice and uh, you start with D6s now. And it's, yeah, it's it, it's changed so much in like the last two weeks. It's crazy. So, I mean, that kind of happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. But, but this is something that is kind of interesting that I'm finding about recovery in general. Hmm. Is just the idea that physical like i didn't even think about it really until we started discussing it that like physical recovery has been going much much quicker now like that just in games in general as a trend but mental recovery 
didn't used to be a thing for the most part. Now we're seeing like stress trackers in a large number of games. Yeah. And the stress is actually a lot slower in its recovery. Like this is more the the limiting reagent in a lot of cases. I yeah, also... it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting dichotomy that people sort of reify, right? I, I think that's. I think that's a modern conception. I think actually, Probably. if we were playing, if people had invented these games in ancient times, it would probably be the reverse. In some sense. Yeah. Probably. I mean, we haven't really had the same level of psychology, but I think it's also the. I think it also says something about like what we're concerned about in the modern day as well. Like we're not really concerned about the idea of a grizzly gruesome fate where you barely survived. We're more concerned about like the trauma of the fact that you barely survived. Like, what does this do for you long term? Like, oh, your character gets some scars. It's like, mm, those aren't that interesting unless they're deep emotional scars that will haunt them for the rest of their life. Maybe yeah. they can get over it. And it's kind of interesting that we did, we do focus on that now. Like, even. I think that's largely because we, we don't have near death experiences before we're pubescent anymore i think most kids that made it like probably let's say over ten thousand years ago the bulk of human the bulk of human development right yeah. like most children probably died before 10 so if you were if you were if you made it to 10 you probably had a number of near-death experiences that sort of inured you to that like if you made it that far you were just like ah yeah i'm good like I, 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 got, I almost got eaten. Like a giant rock almost fell on me. Like there was, you know, yeah, my, you my dad almost beat me to death. Whatever the heck it was, so it's like I'm here. This is great. It's amazing. I'm still alive. You uh, don't even need to go back a thousand years. 150 possibly yeah. <laughs> less. Like there's, like we had a really big jump in survival rate. Yeah. Like we had a point where it was like it was mostly disease stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. disease and also like tainted milk was a bizarrely large one. Like pasteurization itself lowered like infant mortality rate by a third on its own. It's insane. Yeah, no. yeah there's a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, recovery. Uh, yeah. Are we done with it as a topic for now? Yes. Uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think the the core that I'm taking away from it mm. is really that um, there's a place for it in how you want to, um, I think, thematically and, uh, I don't know, tactily sell, or like, I mean, like, uh, tangibly sell the immersion mm. in your game. Um, it does influence the pacing. It does influence the um, player perception of how the game is intended to be played as a game. And if you go into designing your recovery system with that in mind, um, it will influence how the player engages in the main action of your game that does cause 
stress and damage or uh, resource exhaustion. So, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I. I think the one thing that I've realized I think I've done without in without thinking of it in this particular manner until now was that a lot of the, the mental recovery that you get in most games where like you have to deal with stress and such mm -hmm. like instead of having that as a stress track that's more like I don't track you are getting stressed about this thing and then here's recovery it's more the stress is just not tracked itself it's only if you are recovered from it like you've undergone like the situation that you've had to question what you believe in right. then you actually track like i have recovered from this i've gotten stronger because of it but you're only tracking it in my game really if you've recovered from it and it's not you're not like going backwards and then forwards it's only tracking the forwards motion interesting which is kind of weird to think about but that's basically what you're doing now that i'm thinking about it hmm. that is really cool Robin i'd like to say it was intentional <laughs> <laughs> Rob Kavor, any last thoughts to take us out? Talked about fellowship and PPTA recovery, but uh, okay, I guess I should do that. Anyway, okay, so fellowship specifically, uh, you have inventory items. Uh, there's very specific mechanics on. You can recover a little bit between, you can recover a little bit by converting resources between like scenes. That, that's just a permission you have. Uh, the only way to fully recover your inventory is to take a rest and allow the Overlord to, to take a hard action and advance their plan to take over the world. But right. you will at some point need to do that, provide, unless one of you is the Orc, in which case the Orc can perpetually sustain themselves, and therefore they don't follow the rules, and they're broken. There you go. Also, you mentioned that, you know, <laughs> like... NPCs that you're friends with count as an inventory item in that? Mm-hmm. You, you can recover them with food like any other inventory item. <laughs> okay. Uh, the idea is uh, how they work, how NPCs work, which I guess I should get into a bit. It's not entirely relevant to the recovery. It's NPCs have a list of traits that you can spend to like give you narrative advantages. Like, for mm -hmm. example, the if you take the wolf ally, if you're an orc or an elf, they have loyal and pack hunter. And if you and if you spend pack hunter, then you cross it off until you recover it. And, the, and then you, like, get the benefit from pack hunter. And, if you, you know, loyal works the same way. And if both of those are marked and they, and you expend a, them as a resource to protect you in some way, to prevent an injury or like when it narratively makes sense, uh, then they you lose a bond with them. If they have no bonds, they leave you. Oh, this explains Gollum suddenly then because he lost his loyalty stat and they, instead of recovering with, with food, they took his fish away and they took his potatoes away. 
Darn. If only. <laughs> wow, that's uh, hilarious. That's, that's huh. <laughs> yeah, that's huh. Check that out. That mimics Tolkien better than any other RPG I've ever heard of. It also makes sense with, you know, the recovery of Sam and the Lamorous bread. Lamorous bread, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't until he, he got the Lamorous bread back that he, re he recovered his loyalty. Mm. Loyalty is not the only path, by the way. It's a mix of dogs. Just to, be just to clarify that. I mean, we're talking about Sam and Gollum. They basically acted like dogs a lot of the time. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, one of them, they even literally kept on a leash. Yeah, <laughs> they did do that. Anyway, uh, a lot of the uh, older like PBT games have the, you recover like stat injuries over a period of days and well, I mean, like harm over a period of days, and I'm, and I have never played one of those three. I will say that right now. <laughs> yeah, you recover harm between sessions. Uh, yep. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played a a PBTA game that like harm actually got tracked like that. Uh, Over days? Yeah, no, me neither. Yeah, um, uh, there's. I'm trying to remember how it works in Monster Hearts because mm. pretty isn't. Do you have? I don't know. The uh, one game I played at Monster Hearts, we didn't get injured. Yes. I don't think I... there was there. There's a way they recover, but you gives out strings to do it. Is that correct? That would make sense. Everything it was, gets it in that. Sense, but I, I feel bad that I forgot how it works. Um, it's like the vampire has to do something, but they have a string with the person they bite to recover, something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, what it was that like. would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I remember that uh, I, I, the reason why it's bothering me is because Monster Hearts is hyper lethal, actually. <laughs> it's yeah. weirdly lethal. If, like, I'm pretty sure you can take all of two hits in, if somebody mm -hmm. is actually, if you're in an actual fight. But I, mean, I don't remember exactly how it works. It's weird that recovery would almost exist at that point. Because, yeah. like, you're probably not going to need to worry about recovering. <laughs> I mean... No, because it's one hit is like, oh shit, this is really bad. Yep. Is the idea, right? And then you can go off and do the recovery thing, and then I think you have to pass off the screen. Yeah, also, a lot of the recovery options, like, specifically the vampire one you mentioned, are things yeah. that you can do, like, mid-fight, so... Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's just my memory of it. I'm not sure it's accurate, so I didn't want to say it. Anyway. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned it, yeah, I'm not sure it's accurate either. I'm yeah, not, uh, like, and, then, and then there's Mask, which has an actually good recovery system for what it is, which is you, reco is you recover conditions when moves tell you to recover conditions, which is mostly based on team bonding exercises and like actually talking to each other. You know, strangely enough, you mm -hmm. actually just reminded me I do have a traditional sort of recovery system just for uh, basically the gets in, because they basically spend their spirit as a resource and they have to 
actually recover it kind of like a vampire. <laughs> That's the one species has a recovery thing. Technically everyone does, but nobody else really makes use of it for the most part. Okay. It's weird. It it's Your just game is weird. Uh, yes, we accept that. I did yes. not even think about this until you you mentioned the vampires, and it's like, oh yeah, wait, that does exist. <laughs> yes. They are so the kitchen sink of RPGs. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Rob. Take us All right. Home. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're listening, we appreciate it. Uh, do we? Yeah, we do. We, I appreciate it. We, very we hope much you do. Appreciate it. We don't appreciate it enough to pay any therapeutic bills. No. No. Nor no, you, do we. You chose to listen to this, so really, this is your fault. Yeah, kind of. Your recovery is on you. <laughs> on that one. Good night, everybody. It is night where you are. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. The squeaks. The squeaks. I don't know the squeaks. <laughs> the fix it in post. Just voice modulate down. No, I shan't. Yeah. I shan't. I shan't. <laughs>